and, and now it circulates to us. The privilege here is these are the very words of Jesus. There are, it's all scripture, the words of Jesus. But there are times where it's a bit more direct, and, and that's the opportunity we have. We come to the church in, in Sardis this morning. Sardis, very briefly, it had an enviable geographic position. It was a mountain more or less behind it. There, there it was on a plateau, and there was essentially only one way to, to enter into the city. So it was perceived as being unassailable. Their defenses were, were relatively casual for the most part. And, and by the time this letter comes to Sardis, there was a memory in the church of Sardis having been conquered by Persia and, and then later on by forces associated with early Rome. So, so there was a sense that even though there was a sense of things being impregnable, they weren't. And there was this casualness within the city that things are going to be okay. And of course, as the city tends to go, so goes the church too often. Another feature of Sardis is that apparently there was some gold on the mountain. It would run off and it would move into the water. And, and as a result, it was a relatively prosperous area. And it was known for some of the early minting of very pure gold and silver coins. That prosperity, money as you know it, can keep us from difficult things that can test us to see what we're made of, to see who we believe in. And this was one of the challenges in Sardis. So strap in this morning. Sardis is a letter that, as we listen to it with the church, it is calling us to confession and to repentance. I'll use those words almost in the same way. Confession is speaking out of our wrongness that is against God. Repentance is the act of, of turning from those things that, that we are confessing. This is a morning. Close the door. Don't let anybody out. This is a, this is a morning to consider repentance, which means it's a morning to consider turning away from things that have the the, the, the feel of death in our lives, and moving toward life and the life himself in Jesus. One of the questions we'll ask is, what's your relationship with repentance? Do you like it? Uh, if you don't, you, you may misunderstand it. So here's Jesus speaking. He's going to speak of the seven spirits, which he's essentially speaking of the spirit we just prayed to in a song, uh, it's a way of talking about how the Spirit himself goes everywhere. He is with each one of these seven churches. Um, and here, is, here are the words of Jesus to the church of Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, Jesus himself. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And then there's a series of, of strong words that, that culminate in repentance. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Any of them. Any of them. Not just this work or this work. Any of them which we have to try to understand. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. 
if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at, the, at what hour I will come against you. Yet, you still have a few names in Sardis. People have not soiled the garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I'll never blot his name out from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus gets right to the point with his assessment. You have a reputation for being alive, reputation among yourselves, reputation among your community, but you are dead. Think they went to church. Think that they were liked in the community, and they liked each other. People got along. Think of a group that would do good deeds in in the community. Think of a group that was nice. Now, the word nice can have two different directions to it. One version of the word nice is it's kind. It's like 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. But there's another feature of nice that that, uh, I had a friend I used to work with who, who, whenever he said the word nice, it was with disdain, as if he was saying profanity. And, and his version of nice, which is probably the nice that was in Sardis, is, is you, you, care, you care about pleasing people for your reputation, for your own reputation. With fundamentally no convictions that, that undergirds it. Nice, and here's the point, nice can be done by anybody, at least for short periods of time. Some of you can do nice all the time. You're you're, you're nice in private, you're nice in public. But anybody can do nice. The issue in Sardis was their works were void of Jesus. Because of Jesus was not part of their motivation. So everything as a result was incomplete. Nothing had the stamp of Jesus on it. They were indistinguishable from the very fine people in the world around them who were many times genuinely nice but but didn't speak the name of Jesus, didn't know or follow Jesus Christ. There's a phrase here about your works being incomplete and, and the idea of works is identified in a previous letter and so we're going to borrow that in Thyatira it identifies your works as being in three areas, as being in love and in faith and in service or in generosity. So, so let's stop at those briefly as, as we consider what it's like to have a reputation for being alive, but, but you're ultimately dead. Jesus says that your love is incomplete. You are courteous. You are liked. You you are sacrificial with the people who who are close to you. And even people who are farther from you. You're like everybody else where perhaps you you put your better foot forward in, in, in public than you do in private. Perhaps when people don't love you the way you would like to be loved, you implode. Or perhaps you're 
Like a woman, I, I, we were, I was on a Zoom call with a group of people, and, and the woman spoke about how her children, this is, is a very familiar experience, one of her children, I think a 10-year-old, came to her and said, Mommy, you're being mean. And the mother's response immediately was, well, you make me do it. You force me into it. That's, that's niceness that is, is, sort of comes in your own name rather than the name of Jesus. Love was incomplete. It, it wasn't compelled by what Christ had done for us. There was no Jesus help me when we, when we sin against our children. Jesus was simply not in it. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's offering us a different way. He says, it's in our hearts, it's the love of Christ that compels us. Because we are convinced that when he died, he died for all of us who have put our faith in him. Which means that we ourselves died. Our lives have been changed forever by being attached to the person of Jesus Christ. And now, he goes, Paul goes on to say, those who live we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one with whom we died and have been risen from the dead. Your works are incomplete. They, they can be very, very good and very, very nice. There are, there are many nice people in the world, and, and we may be among them, but Jesus is thoroughly absent. That's the incompleteness is being identified in Sardis. Faith. Love can be incomplete. Faith can be incomplete. Faith has, has, has at least three ingredients to it. To be a person of faith, you, you have to know something. You have to know something about who Jesus is. You have to have information about Jesus, that he, he truly indeed came, and he came and he died. And he rose again. So you have to have that information. Secondly, you have to believe that that information is true. It's accurate. But there's another part to this. The, the sense is that Sardis had the information about Jesus, and they could all say that the information was true. But there's a difference between saying the information is true and saying, I am with him. I, my life is bound to him. I am bought with a price. I belong to him. All of us have concerns about, about those who, who have spoken of Jesus at one point in their life, and, and now they no longer do. And there can be different reasons for that. Among them, one is the world around us captures our attention. It becomes more attractive than Jesus. And we have this sense that Jesus might keep us from some of the things that we, we might want to be involved in. That's one. The other is that we believe that he came and he died and he rose from the dead. We believe that that is historical fact. But we haven't said, and I am yours. We haven't said, Jesus, I need you. Or we haven't said it for the last 20 years or five years or five months. We haven't spoken it lately.
our faith is incomplete. It can get the answer right on a test, but, but it never moves to actually trusting. Saying, I need you and you alone. It never moves to trusting in a person. Love can be incomplete. Faith can be incomplete. Service can be incomplete. The church in Sardis, they, they gave. They every reason to think that they were generous. They had a certain prosperity compared to the churches around them. And they, they most likely gave their 1%. I can remember when, when some of the presidential tax returns were, were made public. I can remember the first one I noticed was, when the presidents, by the time they're president, they tend to be fairly wealthy. And, and I noticed that their, the giving, the charitable giving, was 1%, and which, which is what? It's, it's better than the vast majority of the population. <laughs> you, you give 1% of your income. That's nice. It's nice. But, but even if you give 50% or 75% of your income, it could still fall under the category of incomplete because it is, it is not, it is not, it does not land. It is not given birth by, by thankfulness. The Christ has given everything to you. And, 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 and now being brought into Christ, he didn't give you simply a share of the kingdom. He gave you everything that is his. It's, there could be generosity in your life, whether it's 1% or 20. But it's not compelled by the person of Jesus Christ. The works in Sardis were incomplete. They're not identified as being ugly and, and, and wretched or, or horribly immoral. They're identified as incomplete. They were nice, but nothing had the stamp of Jesus Christ. So, so today, is, is, is we are being brought into this particular letter, as, as we seek to participate in it and confess and, and repent, feel free to look for hidden sins. That's always, it's always worthwhile. But you'll have opportunities to do that in, in, in another week or two with another church. Instead, today, especially, Consider how your life, your public life, there's nothing necessarily, if, if somebody would walk around with you in the course of a day, there would be nothing necessarily wrong that stands out. There would be all kinds of good things. But there would be nothing that would mark you as someone who was crucified with Christ and risen with him. And your life was now, was now fixated and in, 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 in clinging to him as he has clung to you. Your confession is going to be that, that you can be indistinguishable from the very nice people in the world who, and anybody, is capable of being nice. The passage goes on and it says, wake up. Now, the question is, how do you, what gets you to wake up? Uh, you, somebody, wake up! You can scream it and yell it. You can do what Sherry did, actually, when she was reading the story. I was, I might have been thinking about the sermon just a little bit when Sherry was reading the story. Just a little, <laughs> just a little. And, and then she said, <clears throat> remember you stopped, and you said, hmm, that's important. Let me say that again. All of a sudden, I'm on the edge of my seat. What gets you to wake up? What, you know, what sort of, 
What sort of moves out of your ordinary life and arrests you in some way? That's, that's what Jesus is saying to the church of Sardis, and he's saying it to us along with them. Wake up, wake up. Listen, listen. This is important. This is a matter of life and death. And, and we can be especially to put to sleep when we look at our good deeds and the, and the niceness of, our, of, of, of the way we live, and we can be sort of lulled into thinking that everything is fine, but we are drifting into death itself. Wake up, wake up. And then he, he brings a series of imperatives to us that, that will culminate in the call to repent. And here are some of the imperatives. He begins by saying, remember. You've heard these things before, he says. Remember. Remember what you have received and heard. Uh, if you could, John, if you could put the Hutterberg Catechism up, up in front of us. Remember what you have received and heard. Christ, him crucified, conquered death. And now his love is poured out all over you. We were in Hebrews a little while ago, and Hebrews has a phrase toward the end, hold fast to your confession of hope. So, so, what, so the first part of this is remember. Stop. Wait. Listen. Allow this to sort of reach out from ordinary life. Do you believe this? And by the way, this is the Heidelberg Catechism, and, and one of the reasons we enjoy it is because it is so personal. It's, these are words that are being spoken to you. So I'm not, going to, I'm not going to have us recite this, but I'd like you to at least see it. And for those of you who are online, I, well, I can't ask you the question, can you actually see this? But the words are fairly clear. Maybe I'll read a few of them. But, but here, is, here are the words of Jesus. You can, you can drift into just living in a nice world as if, as if that's complete. Remember, remember. Can you speak these words? I'm not asking you to speak them now because any nice person can speak them. Any nice person could recite them. But Jesus is speaking to your heart. Do you, do you believe these things? So the question, this is the first question of the, the Heidelberg Catechism. What's your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. John, is there anything else on that? There's a, it's a, there's a longer response. That's, it, that, that's fine if that's what it is. If, if, if you're interested, and that's enough, by the way, that, that you, belong, you belong not to yourself, but to another. Do you believe that? The church in Sardis could, could speak the Western, well, they didn't have the Heidelberg Catechism at those particular times, but they could speak things out loud. But there wasn't that, that stop, do I believe this? Is this what is in my own heart? How can I avoid simply being nice? How can, if there's a niceness in my soul, be driven by the person of Jesus Christ? If you're interested in, in remembering, if you're interested in a confession, you might want to go online and see a little bit more of the Heidelberg Catechism. It is, it is a beautiful and extensive first question that is being answered here. Remember, remember. 
But remember is somebody who's awake. Remember is someone who, who recognizes there's a difference between having the facts right and being able to, to say, I am owned by another. And life is forever changed because of what Jesus Christ has done. The words of Jesus go on, and he, he says, now you remember, now keep it, guard it, grab it, don't, don't let it go. Were you vulnerable to, to letting go of such things? Where do you need to wake up? Where, where do you find yourself sort of following the rhythms of the world where the fears that, that are around us, you simply catch them? And you catch them just like anybody else would catch them. And Jesus doesn't have the final word. Jesus, there's no stamp of because of Christ in, in the fears that you have. Or the entertainment that you're involved in. There's nothing that, that is connected to Christ in it. The distractions that you have of life. Keep it. Guard it. Hold on to it. Hold on to ultimately him. It's a concern for, for religion that can be simply a tradition in the church of Sardis. Tradition would be... Um, when we, when we sing worship songs, they're not that much different than you singing Waltzing Matilda, which is what? It's just a, it's a folk song. Now, it's an Australian folk song, uh, but even if you're in Australia, you have no idea who Waltzing Matilda is. It's, it's something you just sing, and you sing it vigorously. Or for us, it would be like singing camp songs. Excuse me for showing my age, but the only one I can think of right now is John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. It, it's... It, it's People would sing it vigorously around the campfire, and it didn't mean anything. It wasn't supposed to mean anything. It was just a tradition. It is what you did. It's the singing songs. Is it a tradition? Because this is what you do when you come to church. Or are they songs that stop you, cause you to wake up, and and say, yes, I believe these very words. Help, Lord Jesus. That is a complete work when it comes to, to your worship. Yeah, perhaps you pray. Perhaps you pray before meals with other people. But, but your prayer is ultimately sort of mindless. Perhaps you curse less than other people. Curse less than in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Um, yeah, that's good. It, it's... Or, or perhaps you decry the, the, the moral degradation of the world around you. These are what? You don't have to know Jesus to, to say these things. You, any human being can say them without Jesus Christ. What Sardis is saying, I don't see the stamp of Jesus on you. If I follow you through the day, I don't see anything that causes you to stand out. I don't hear the name of Jesus. I don't see because of Jesus. You seem like a good person walking around doing your ordinary daily life. So your works are incomplete. And then he, he culminates the, the string of imperatives and he says, repent. Repent. How is your relationship? With repentance. Jesus has already taught us in the Lord's Prayer that confession of sin is part of daily life. It's, it's the way we live. Confession is, 
is that, is that stopping, it's that moment where how have I simply become nice? Where are our hidden sins? It's, it's, a normal, it's a normal call where Jesus is saying, I want you all for myself. And drifting into things like death. Anytime you drift away from me, you are drifting into death. Whether the things you're doing seem good or whether they seem, they seem wretched. How is your relationship with, with repentance? Excuse the, the, the technical illustration, but I couldn't think of any other one. And it's also going to show you the things that have been on my mind recently. Think of repentance just for a moment. You might have better illustrations than this. But think of repentance as a kind of rebooting of a computer. If you feel stuck, if you feel angry, if you feel bored, if you feel ordinary in just being nice, but there's nothing compelling about Christ that undergirds it. When in doubt, repent. When in doubt, confess sin. It's, it's the way to clarity. It, 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 it clarifies this path of life and who has brought us into this path of life. When in doubt, reboot as a way to get the system to work again. Or in my particular case, I finally learned after many years of calling experts who the first thing to say is, did you reboot? I finally learned that I, I reboot. Uh, my, the, my last go around with this, which is why the illustration comes up, is I rebooted. And, I, and this time, I didn't want the expert to say something that any numbskull could do. I wanted him to say, wow, that's really a hard problem that you're giving me. So I brought it to the expert. And I said, I've rebooted. I've done this. I've done this. And I've done this. And the first thing he did was he rebooted again. And everything was just fine. <laughs> so, so, so when in doubt, when in doubt, Life seems a little bit hard. Life seems uh, overwhelming. Life seems boring. It seems lifeless. When in doubt, confess that you need Jesus. And by the way, did you see in that, all of a sudden, your life is complete. It might not feel complete, but now your life is complete. You're demonstrating aliveness. Somebody could be walking along in your life, and they say, that person, that person is connected to Jesus. They're alive in some way. When Rosemary was here, Rosemary Miller, many of you know that she was in the hospital for, for some of the time that she was here. And, and I, perhaps she mentioned this particular story. It's, it's, it was meaningful to me. She, she became known in the hospital as, as a Christian. So, in other words, she wasn't just nice. There are a lot of, I'm sure there are a lot of mean patients in the hospital. There are a lot of really nice patients as well. She wasn't merely nice. There was something about Jesus who was on her lips often that, that stood out. And there was one person who came, and I don't know if it was a nurse or one of the physicians. Uh, what kind of a Christian are you? And I think, I, I think the person was asking, what kind of denomination are you with? And uh, Rosemary's answer went something like this. I'm the kind of Christian who does lots of things that are very, very wrong. And I am the forgiven kind of Christian. That's, that's more than nice. That's somebody who's not simply identifying themselves by way of religious traditions that they're involved in, but, 
but they're identified by the person of Jesus Christ. They, repentance is this way of life. If it, if it sounds bad in any way for, to you, it's, it, it's, it's been corrupted. It's been utterly corrupted. It, it, repentance is the, the very gift of the Spirit that, that brings a moment to completion. Are you, somebody goes through your day, here's one of our goals, for, for somehow in that day, our life to be compelled by the very love of, of Christ. Because at this point, so many of us are capable of doing niceness. I, I work as a counselor, and, and as a counselor, there was one time where the Spirit very graciously to impose these things on my own heart. I was talking with somebody who was a Christian, and around 45 minutes into our conversation, I was, I was arrested. And, and, and I was able to say, did you notice that during these 45 minutes, it was, it was good 45 minutes. We talked about good things. We talked about important things. But if somebody was sitting next to us, they never would have known that our life is bound up in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's confess. Let's confess that too often we can think that there's a religiosity, a niceness, that and that is the grounding of life. Let's pray that, that we wouldn't simply act like an ordinary, very nice person. We would, look, we would act like a substandard person who knows that they need Jesus Christ. And... And our love comes out of knowing that we have been forgiven for much. Completeness would be saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for for nothing being complete. Or for this day not being complete. Or this hour not being complete. So living by my own wits. Forgive me. I need you. Forgive me. I love you. And if we have the knack of repentance correctly, we, it's, it ends with thank you. Thank you, John 6, 37. Those who come to Jesus, he will never turn away. It is his very delight that his people come to him for life. And then, of course, the passage moves on to, to these very attractive pictures of being able to walk with Jesus as we've known something of being complete in him. Uh, white outfits might not seem that outstanding to you. Um, they don't do anything for me at first glance, the idea of a white robe. But, but the idea of a white robe is this, that, that it's the suitable attire for the walks you take with Jesus. It's, it's, it, it, is, it, it, it's, it speaks of your closeness. It, it speaks of the one who holds your hand. White attire, if you could imagine, means that as you walk with Jesus, remember the C.S. Lewis idea. When, when, we're, when we're with Jesus, we can't imagine fear. Well, when you're with Jesus in white attire, you can't imagine guilt. You can't imagine shame. All of a sudden, the regrets that you've had in your life, you can't remember them. That's, that's white attire. And then he... 
He speaks of your name written in a book, spoken before the triune God, God itself. Let me, let me just sneak in another, another part of what Jesus says in these letters. It goes something like this. He, he knows your name, and there's a publicness to it, him knowing your name. As you speak of him, he speaks of you. It's just it's the way it goes. But there's also something sweeter than that, where it's something very individual, something very unique, Whereas he walks with you, somehow you yourself become the apple of his eye. And he knows you by name. It's, it's, it's the public declaration of your name being associated with Jesus. But it's almost like a wink. It's almost like this knowing wink. I know you. It's, it's sort of this, this in-house knowledge. It's the, it's the knowledge that he shares with you and no one else. He knows you. He knows your name. He's even giving you a new name that is more startling than, than the one that you have already received. Well, these are Jesus' words to the church in Sardis. It's an opportunity for us to be drawn into repentance for our niceness, for our works that are they're good works that are unconnected to the person of Jesus Christ. May we be a church that values confession, and may we be a, a church where if you walk with us over a course of a day, the name of Jesus has been spoken. That, that prayer at a meal is, is no longer merely a tradition, but it's an occasion perhaps to be thankful for specific things that we have received from Jesus. It's, it's an opportunity to bless perhaps the name of Jesus and to speak blessing for those who, who you're with. May we be people who... Today, speak the name of Jesus. Live out our lives because of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, may we, may we do that. May, as we pray for your spirit to reign on us, may your spirit reign on us in any way that you would choose so our souls can be alive to, to resting in Christ, to, to being thankful for 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 forgiveness of sins, thankful for a love that is just being poured out over and over again when we least expect it, and we feel like we are thoroughly unworthy. Thank you, Father. In the name of Christ, amen.